the Michael Balco Show is proudly sponsored by Donato's Pizza. Donato's prides themselves on ensuring that every piece of the pizza is important and that they have something for everyone. Donato's should be your top spot for game days, just like they are mine. Check out their website at www.donatos.com for more information. How is it going, everybody? Today, I'm super excited to announce my guest. He's a 2007 Grey Cup champion, a member of the CFL's All-Decade team. And you know it's not an Erie-based podcast if we don't represent the hometown Erie, PA. So that's where my man is from, Javon Deuce Johnson. How are we doing today, brother? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm blessed to have you. I'm blessed that you're able to hop on the show on such short notice for me today. So first and foremost, we got to talk about Erie. Rep Erie real quick. Tell us about it. What makes it so unique? Oh, man. Like, I could go on for days talking about the hometown, but um, in 814, one thing that makes the 814 unique is, you know, we're a small ta- a small town, but it feels like a bigger, bigger city than what it is. Um, everybody's pretty much close-knit. You know, you connect it to people, through other people, you know, whether you know them or not, everybody kind of knows of one another. Um, the city on the lake, we got we got so many blue-collar people, people that work hard every day. Um, and then when you think about athletics, and, you know, I tell people this all the time, Erie is like a hidden gem when it comes to athletes. Like, we have so many outstanding athletes. Um, a lot of them have, from such a small city, have had the opportunity to play at the bigger level, uh, Division One college football, you know, NFL, CFL, you know, whatever the case may be. We got a number of guys that have went on uh, to create success and, and bring back that torch to the city um, and let people know that that Erie does exist. So, um, again, we just we work hard. You know, we don't take no for an answer. You know, the work ethic is there. The proof is in the pudding. Yes, sir. I was going to say that, too. I mean, we got a bunch of ballers and we got a bunch more coming up on the rise, too. And you're just you're one of them, bro. You set the you set the standard for a lot of dudes. I mean, we got you. We got like Bob Sanders, James Conner. The list just goes on and on. Fred Bolitnikoff. There's just so many greats that came from Erie. And there's going to be there's going to be plenty more. Um, So tell us a little bit about your recruiting process. You went to Mercyhurst Prep. You played your high school ball there. Um, So kind of tell us about how you were able to get some recognition while at Mercyhurst Prep and why you chose to take your talents to Iowa? Uh, you know, Mercyhurst was a was a school that took a chance on me. You know, I transferred in. I wasn't there my first two years. So, you know, they gave me the opportunity to come in as a junior and just kind of insert myself into the lineup. You know, I was talented, um, came from a rough neighborhood, rough upbringing, so I brought a little bit of an edge to the team. You know, a lot of, you know, a lot of people didn't look like me. Um, they didn't think like me. They didn't play like me. I, I just was all about getting it, you know, the best way I knew how. And that was through competition. Um, you know, I never was going to go out and, and take it easy on nobody that I ever played with or against. Um, so my two years at Mercer has really taught me a lot. It showed me a lot about myself, um, being disciplined, organized, you know, on time, you know, all these different characteristics outside of the game of football uh, that taught me and and brought me to become the person that I am today. So um, I'm very thankful for Mercer's Prep for all they've done for me um, and all they continue to do for me, Um, you know, and they're always just a call away, always willing to to lend a hand if I need one. Um, But, you know, my two years there in football, let's just talk football, 
Um, my first year, it was a lot different different than what I was used to because everybody showed up to practice. You know, everybody came with the same mindset that we wanted to win. Like it, it was there was never a time where I had to question, you know, what guys' commitment level were. Um, and that's what I struggled with at the school that I went to previous at Erie's High School. Um, guys didn't show up to practice. You know, guys didn't, you know, get punished for not showing up. They just ended up getting inserted in the game on Saturdays and then we lose and then it's just like everybody's pointing the finger. Well, you know, the, the issue was much bigger than the game. It was, you know, guys not understanding that practice was important or that being disciplined was going to help you, you know, in the crunch time of games and things like that. So uh, when it came to recruiting, you know, I had a bunch of different schools coming to the school. Um, a lot of them didn't even come to see me, to be quite honest. They came to see Levon Rowan, uh, my teammate who, you know, at 6'1", 200 pounds in high school is, is like a prototypical size defensive back. Uh, and you pair that with the speed that he had, and he ran a 10-3 and a 100-meter dash. So um, every school in America was coming in, you know, to meet with him and stopping in Profetto's office to to bring him out of class and just kind of talk to him about recruiting. So I started to see how, how the process was going, and I, I started to – go in and and in those meetings i would tell teams like hey if you don't take him you know you got another guy over here that can ball so a lot of teams would just kind of like brush it off but there were certain schools that was like hey let us see your film like obviously you know we weren't being pushed by our coach i mean nothing against him but you know he didn't really push us how i thought he should have um and you know, teams did take my film. Teams reached out to me. I ended up getting offered two Division One scholarships because of it. Uh, Kent State came in. You know, they they liked what they saw of me on film. I ended up leaving a basketball game early to go to a visit to um, to see them, and uh, enjoyed it. That was my only Division One offer at the time. Um, then Iowa came to the school about the week before signing day, and the the defensive back coach again. They were recruiting Levon and. You know, I was in the office telling them, you know, hey, take a look at my film. They ended up taking a look. And then I, I ended up leaving out the meeting and going to basketball practice. And the, the best, I mean, the, the defensive back coach came down to the gym and he asked me if I could dunk a basketball. And, you know, I got a ball from one of my teammates. I dunked it and he just walked out. And I was just like, wow, what the fuck? And then, uh, you know, after that, the next day, they offered me a scholarship. So uh, it was a blessing in disguise. And, you know, I went to a visit the, that same weekend. They flew me out, you know, enjoyed it. You know, having guys like Bob Sanders and Ed Hinkle already previously there uh, made the decision a lot easier for me because I'm like, this feels at home. I know these guys. We grew up in the same area. We've known each other forever. Like, I know they're not going to let me fail. So, you know, it was kind of a no-brainer. Uh, on why I chose Iowa, but the recruiting process wasn't what I expected it to be uh, for myself, given the success that I had over those couple years. But at the same time, you know, when you put the work in and, you know, you don't accept no for an answer, things tend to happen for you. Uh, you know, I tell young players all the time, if you're if you're disciplined, you work hard, you know, you have a little bit of luck on your side, anything's possible. So, you know, that was what it was for me. I had a little bit of luck on my side. You know, I, I politic for myself and 
ended up overcoming the odds. Yeah, for sure. And then ever since, you know, I mean, we've seen like Terry Roberts and we've seen a couple other dudes, I mean, I'm sure are going to go to Iowa, just like Erie and Iowa just have a little bit of a connection now. So it's kind of unique. And, and you and Bob, like you mentioned, like you guys kind of paved the way for that. So that's what's up. Um, so while at Iowa, you were a two-time first team, all Big Ten selection. Uh, you anchored the secondary. So kind of when did you start to know that you were going to be able to take your talents to the next level? And then what was it like getting to take your talents to the next level with the Pittsburgh Steelers? Um my first my first two years you know I was again you know I, I came in I was under recruited nobody really knew much about me so I had a very large chip on my shoulder and that chip kind of rubbed some people the wrong way you know a lot of the guys that were already there previously um, they had already kind of inserted themselves into you know what they considered to be a spot but I didn't believe in that you know, I didn't believe that nobody's spot was safe. Not when I was not when I was on the field. So um, a lot of guys didn't really respond well to, you know, the competition. And, you know, being an eerie guy, that's all we know. Like, I, I'm not going to let you beat me out. And um, and I ended up in the first three games my freshman year, I ended up being a true freshman and I played on special teams solely. Um, and then in those games, we would have blowout games like we played you know, the MAC conferences or, you know, those warm-up games at the first beginning of the season. And in those three games, I would play from the beginning of the third quarter to the end of the game because we'd be up 35, 42 to zero. Um, so they would just say, hey, Johnson, you going in that corner. So I'll be like, all right. I went in in the first three games. And, and in those second half of those games, I had ended up with three interceptions. And the defensive back coach was – kind of like, man, this guy is always around the football. He's making plays like he has to play more. So he ended up telling the guy that was in front of me, DJ Johnson, who was a senior. Um, and he, they told him, hey, you you haven't been playing very well. The freshman's playing well. We're going to go with him. So in week four, I started my freshman year and I started for the rest of the year. Ended up that season with four interceptions. I was an All-American, um, freshman team All-American, and I was a um, fre all-freshman Big Ten uh, player. So, you know, that kind of catapulted my career into the success that I had at Iowa because once I became a starter, I had a different set of challenges that I had to overcome. And, you know, I always felt like I was elite. So I was willing to go above and beyond and not just settle for Everybody says you, you give 100%, you give 100%. Well, the way I look at it is there's a there's more barriers than, than just 100%. Like if everybody's giving 100%, then everybody's on the same level. And I never consider myself to be that guy. So, you know, I would kick down that first barrier and I'm going to say, hey, I'm going to give you more than 100% because there's only a certain number of guys that are willing to play on the other side of that wall. And that are the guys that ended up being elite in my estimation. So, um, you know, I, I broke down that barrier and I'm like, hey, what's the next barrier for me to break? Because I'm going to keep going until, you know, I feel like I can't over, I can't achieve anything else. Um, so my sophomore year at Iowa, which I, I consider probably my best year at Iowa, I ended up with six interceptions um, on the year. I was second to Sean Taylor, you know, God rest his, may he rest in peace you know, one of the greatest players of all time. And I was second in the country to him in interceptions, which is a big deal in my eyes. Um, 
and I was number one in the in the country in pass breakups with like 18. And if I could catch, if I could catch, I would have probably had more interceptions than him. Um, and I, that's just the way, kind of the way the game goes. But then my last two years at Iowa, you know, one thing our defensive back coach was all about was um, he was going to get the most out of you. And he was always on me freshman, sophomore year. He was always on my ass, you know, challenging me to be better. And, you know, I, I took a, I took that to heart because I always wanted to be better. Like everything that he challenged me to do, I wanted to accomplish. So um, in my last two years, he, rare, he rarely ever really coached me because – and I kind of took offense to it, and I and I would go to his office, and I'd be like, "Dang, coach, you don't you don't really talk to me anymore. Like, what am I doing wrong?" And he'd just be like, "Man, you already got it. Like, I don't need to keep pushing you to be better because you already know the standard that you have to play at." And that kind of stuck with me because you know I had already reached where I wanted to go, but I always challenged myself to be better, and the fact that he didn't feel that he needed to keep pushing me because I was pushing myself was just a testament of, of, of where my career was going. So um, my senior year, I definitely thought I was going to have a much better year than I had. Um, but teams would stay away from me. Like I really didn't get the number of balls that I wanted to. Um, so I couldn't make the number of plays that I know I should have made, but I still ended up coming out with four interceptions on the year. So you know, it was just one of those seasons where, you know, I had a limited opportunity, but I made the most of those opportunities when I had the chance. Um, being second in the country to Reggie Bush on punt return average um, kind of made me a more of a versatile guy and gave me the opportunity to do a little bit more, show a little bit more because I did play on special teams. So NFL teams, when they came to uh, to evaluate me, you know, they evaluated me not only as a corner, but as also as a nickel guy, because I played nickel as a returner, you know, as a gunner on on different special teams or kickoff guy. Like they re, they evaluated me in multiple roles. So it, it helped me uh, being that I was undersized and everybody said, oh, he's not big enough. He's not fast enough. He's not this. He's not that. And then, you know, living on the side of that barrier, I was like, I'll, I'll prove you wrong every time. So. You know, I had the opportunity. I went to a lot of people don't even know this, but I went to New York with the Jets out of college. I should have signed with the Steelers first, but my agent at the time was pushing for me to go to New York because they were giving me a signing bonus. But the Steelers told me that if I came there, they wouldn't be signing any other DBs. So I don't I wouldn't have to worry about making a team, which was a better situation for me to be in than going to New York and taking the ten thousand dollars or whatever the hell they gave me. Um, so I ended up in those, my, my time with New York, I ended up getting released three times in about six weeks and started to make me question, like, maybe I'm not cut out for this because like, I just feel like I'm showing what I'm capable of, but I'm not getting the opportunities. And you started, I started to see, you know, it's not about talent in the NFL. It's not about, you know, it's not about what you can do for the program or, or the, the team. It's more so about who's who their investments are, like who's invested in what, who's making what amount of money, because that guy's going to get every opportunity. So ended up going to Pittsburgh after my last time getting released at the end of preseason with New York. I went to Pittsburgh and when they called, they were like, well, so are you ready to come to Pittsburgh now? Or 
And I was like, hell yeah. And um, but in place of me, they ended up signing a, another DB, Anthony Madison from Alabama. And he when I came in, I was placed on practice roster and he ended up being on active roster for the whole year. And I'm like, damn, like that was supposed to be me. And not only that, he ended up playing four or five years with the Steelers and won two Super Bowls. And I was like, and every time I think about it, I'm like, fuck, I was supposed to be in that situation. Got to fire the agent, bro. I did fire him. That's the crazy <laughs> part. So so after, uh, once I signed with the Steelers, you know, I, I kept the agent for that one year. And then uh, and then going into my second year, I fired him and hired a new guy. Um, and then once I got released, it was what one of those situations they needed to, to fill a void with an offensive lineman. And again, they had to lose a position to bring in another old lineman. So they ended up, you know, letting me go as it, you know, as it pertained to that. And, uh, and I was waiting for a few weeks and ended up saying, you know what, I'm going to go play somewhere. So, you know, whoever gives me the opportunity to showcase is where I'm going to go. And the agent at the time, he said he knew a buddy of his that was a general manager in Canada if I wanted to play in the CFL. So I kind of thought about it for a little bit, waited it out, and then I was just like, fuck it, let's do it. And then from that point forward, I just kind of, again, chip on my shoulder. I'm going to prove everybody wrong. And then went to Canada and just made myself a household name. Yeah, for sure. You kind of just touched on it, but you know, following following the season you had with the Steelers, as you mentioned, you got a new agent, all of that. Um, you got that opportunity to play in the CFL. Um, was it was it difficult, you know, kind of agreeing to play in Canada rather than kind of sticking around trying to pursue another NFL opportunity? And then, kind of, how was that? I know the rules are different in Canada, the fields bigger, all that. Kind of, how was it adjusting to Canada Canadian football? Um, it was, it definitely was mentally, I wasn't ready to do it. You know, I kind of held out on the Canadian football league for about six, seven weeks. Cause I was waiting and I'm like, somebody in the NFL is going to call me and, and I'm going to be ready to go. Cause like, I know that I can play there. I know that I, I should have played a long time in the NFL. Um, but it didn't happen. So, you know, when I, I finally agreed to it, I was like, let's go do it. And when I went to Canada, my number one goal was how was I going to get on the field so that I can get film to go back to the NFL. So I wasn't planning on being up there for a long time, even though I ended up being up there for 11 years, but I, I, I planned on just getting film, getting back to the league and, you know, making my money and, and going about my business, but it didn't work out that way. Um, I rubbed a lot of get, again, being who I am and the competitive nature that I have and, you know, not caring about who has the status and who the, who's done what. I rubbed people the wrong way when I first got to Canada. So it was like, hey, I'm here to take your position. Whether you want me to do it or not, I'm going to make it happen. So you need to step up to the plate or you're going to have to move out the way because this position belongs to me. And some guys just couldn't handle that again. So, you know, they would call me in the general manager's office and just be like, Hey man, some of our players don't feel like you really want to be here. I'm like, I didn't want, I didn't sign up for this. Like I came up here to make a name and get out of here. Like that's just the way it is. And if they can't handle that, then you, maybe you got the wrong players on the field. And then, uh, so the general manager, I told him, I said, man, if you want me to go, I buy my own plane ticket and go home. Like it ain't, it's not that big of a deal. I'm going to go play somewhere. I'm not going to ride the bench for nobody. 
And uh, so they would put me on scout team and then I get kicked off a of scout team because I pick the ball off all the time when they throw it at me. And they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, hey, I'm not going to practice bad habits. So if you want somebody that's just going to let your receivers catch the ball or, you know, just do this or do that, then put somebody else out here. And then uh, we ended up winning the Great Cup that year. Um, you know, we had a great run at it. I was only there for about seven, six, seven, maybe eight weeks. And we had a, a really good team and a really good run. Then the next year, I ended up on practice roster at the end of the season. So Winnipeg signed me um, off of their practice roster because they seen what I was capable of doing. And I came in there with the same chip and ended up taking one of their starters position. And uh, my first year in Winnipeg, I had four interceptions and four touchdowns on the season. And that's really when people started to take notice and was like, hey, man, this kid can play. Like, you, whatever we got to do to keep him around, like, we got to try to keep him around. So 2009 year, um, I was an all-star. I was all CFL. I was an all-star. I had the most interceptions in the in the, the, uh, in the league. Um, you know, I – I was just playing at the top of my game and I ended up making a lot of money for myself after that season going forward. Um, and, and I just never, you know, I never took a day off. I never cheated the game. I always was consistent and I just kept plugging away and just, you know, every opportunity I had, I made the most of it. And, and that's one thing that I'm most proud of is that, you know, I never took a day off. Like a lot of people, especially like later in my career, a lot of the players that I would play with, the young guys, and they'd be like, man, how you do it for so long? And I'd just be like, you know, I just work hard. I work hard. Off-season training, I work hard. You know, I'm on the field vigorously, getting better. Like, I visualize myself making plays, like, all day. Like, that's just who I was every single day. And that that's how I ended up accomplishing a lot of what I accomplished. Yeah, I know. Um, I mean – Believe it or not, I'm not just saying this because you're an eerie guy just like me, but I, I've had the pleasure and honor of talking to several CFL players throughout the time I've had my podcast. And so you'd be surprised. I, I don't even think you know know this, but like a lot of them are like, I always ask who's the best player you played with and against. A lot of them said you, bro. And you're one of the biggest <laughs> reasons for the come up of the CFL. Like in the past decade, where it was back when you entered in 2007 to where it's become like, I mean, shit, bro. Like <laughs> CFL is like real deal now, bro. Like it ain't no joke. People always sleep on it for some reason, bro. But I, yeah, shit, half the time I enjoy it more than NFL, to be honest with you. Um, yeah. But anyways, your first year in the CFL, you're able to hold up that Grey Cup trophy. Kind of tell us what that moment was like. I mean, it was a surreal moment. You know, you, you always, you know, when when it's your first year and you go and you win. It's like, man, this is gonna be easy. Like, I'm, I'm gonna be here again. You know, I'm gonna, we're just gonna keep winning, and we're gonna always be in a great cup. And then you start to play out your career, and then it, it just doesn't happen that way because the margin of error is so small, and the parity is so close that you know a lot of players can play, and you end up losing close games or getting in the playoffs and not making it to the championship, and it's always a disappointment. But I ended up playing in three three Grey Cup games in three different teams, so you know it was it was definitely a surreal time. Um, but again, it's like playing in the Super Bowl. Like, shit, you get the opportunity, you got to be the best team on that given day, no matter what your record were for, throughout the season. If you're not the best team that that given day, you're gonna lose. And uh, 
and we lost some close Grey Cup games. Um, but at the end of the day, just being in there in that moment was just like an unbelievable feeling. Yeah, for sure. So you already kind of touched on this next question a little bit. Um, so it didn't it didn't really take you long to find your foot in the CFL, as we know. I mean, you just kind of went in there and you just did your thing, balled out. Um, and you quickly became one of the best defensive backs in the league. Um, how did you take your play to the next level and then just kind of see continued success throughout your entire career? I mean, one thing about me is, is I've always been consistent from high school to college, from college to pro. I've always been consistent and I was consistently good at getting my hands on the football. Um, I studied the game a lot. I paid attention to the details of playing the position. Um, I watched a number of outstanding defensive backs, guys that came before me, even some guys that played after me. Like, you know, I would pay attention to the details of how they played the game, how they played the position, what made them really good at it. And then, if I wasn't good at something, I would take parts of another guy's game that he was good at and incorporate it into how I played. So, you know, I probably had the most styles out of any defensive back ever. Um, and just the way I play, like sometimes I'd be super aggressive in man. Then there were other times where I would be super passive and I would just like, you know, be super patient. And then a lot of our receivers would be like, man, how the hell do you stay so square and I'm giving you all these moves and I like well I studied the game like I know that you're trying to get me to open but if I don't open I'm gonna win so you know those cat and mouse games you know I definitely uh put the work in though my work ethic was second to none just everyday workouts I would go in the weight room even and not and probably for a vast majority of my career I would work out by myself like I never had nobody say all right, hey, we're going to the gym today. Now nah, I'll be up at 5.30 going to the gym by myself or at 7 or 8 o'clock in the morning, I'm on the field, you know, getting a workout in for an hour, hour and a half of just kind of visualizing and going through, you know, different movements that I would play, uh, make on the field and, um, and just doing certain things that, you know, keeping your body in a position to be ready when it's time to go, you know, the, the massages and stretching and, you know, being in, in shape and all these different things that caters to athletes being elite, you know, you gotta, you just gotta be ready. And that that's probably why I was able to, to accomplish a lot of what I accomplished and be so consistent is because I really took care of my body. I really uh, had an outstanding work ethic and I always, you know, stayed the course. Like I said, I never cheated the process. Yeah. And you just mentioned how you kind of, like took bits and pieces from certain players and modeled it into your game. Who are some of those players you took bits and pieces from? Uh, you know, you go and start naming some of these all-time great guys. You know, you got you got Deion Sanders, you got Charles Woodson. You know, one thing I liked and admired about Charles was he played corner, but he was much more than just a corner. You know, he was a returner. He was a safety. He played nickel. He played all these different positions, and it made him more valuable. So I would take things like that and I would make it part of what I did. Like, you know, when I when I was in college, I was always looking up to guys like Dion and Charles Woodson. So I was like, fuck, I can I return in high school. Like, let me go back here and start showing the coaches that I can return kicks or I can play on special teams. Like that made me more valuable to the team as a player because I probably was the only starter that played on all the special teams and did more for the team than most people. Um, would be willing to sacrifice. So 
you know, I was always willing to put my my name on the line for the team. And I was always willing to say if, if we needed to move a guy to a different position, I'll be ready. And I'd be like, Coach, you can play me there. I can get it done. And then coaches would have faith that I would be able to play at whatever position they put me in. Um, but, you know, you got guys like Charles Woodson. You got Deion Sanders, you know, guys like Darrell Revis. Um, and then I started watching guys in the CFL, guys like Delvin Bro. Um, Devin, uh, Brandon Smith, who was played halfback, but he was outstanding. Um, you know, you had Brandon Browner, you had, you had all these different players that had different skill sets. Um, and they were really good at what they did. And I was probably really good at what I did, but I was really good at mixing it up. So I always kept the receivers off balance because they never knew what style of game I was going to play. And a lot of them to this day, will say, man, you you used to do so many different things. So I could never really get a read on on how to really attack you. And I'll be like, hey, that, that's the cat and mouse game we play. So I'm not going to always line up and do the same thing a million times over again and let you kind of get a read on it so you can attack me. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, I mean, you just touched on it. Like, it's, it's all like trying to do everything in your power to make sure they, they don't have any good film on you or make you unpredictable. So... Do you prefer man or zone coverage and why? Uh, I'm a, I, I, I kind of like both. Um, I like playing, if I'm playing man, I like playing press based on the situation of the game. But because of my instincts, I like, I rather play off and then be able to read things because I'm very instinctual. So, if I can read the route that's being ran, then it gives me the, a better opportunity to make a play on the ball versus being impressed. Like you never, you just kind of playing. And it's harder to, to make plays on the ball when you're pressed in coverage. So uh, a lot of times people that play press a lot, they end up with a lot of PBUs or, or tackles or whatever. And then guys that play off, whether man or zone, um, they, they are able to make more plays on the football. So, um, I'm a, I can do both, or I could do both when I played, but um, I would much rather play off either man or zone. It didn't really matter. So I can use my instincts to my advantage. Yeah, for sure. Um, if you had to define success in your own words, whether it be accolades, whether it be, you know, a work ethic, how would you describe success? Uh, I would say for me, success is, let's talk about it 20 years from now like 20 years from now, what is the impact that you had on all of the people that you played with? Um, doesn't, doesn't necessarily mean what your accolades were or, you know, what, what you accomplished as a player, but like, cause there's guys that I feel had tremendous success that never really got noticed because of, you know, the guys around them, the, the number of plays other guys make, cause they put so much of an emphasis on, who's making plays and who's doing this and who's doing that. But I value the guy that come to work every day and make everybody around him better because that guy has a much larger impact than the guy who's just making plays all the time. You know, so uh, 20 years from now, I think the the definition of success would be much clearer. You know, for me, especially um, seeing the guys that I was able to mentor while I was playing, um, like a lot of the guys that you spoke to that said that, um, I was a guy who they admired and whatever, respected and, and all of these different characteristics. 
that's how I would define success is when other people recognize you, not just the people that played with you or played against you, but like, you know, the fans. If you talk to the fans in the CFL and say, who's one of the best defensive backs you've ever seen? A lot of them would say Jovan Johnson. So, you know, in, in time, that's going to stick more than just saying, oh, he was good when he played. For sure. Um, speaking of, you know, playing on the field, who's the best you've played with and against? You can take it back to when you were at Mercyhurst Prep. You can take it NFL, CFL. It don't matter, bro. Even arena ball, bro. I know you played a year of arena ball. Who's the best you've played with and against? Man, that's a tough question. Um, <laughs> you can shout multiple out if you want. Ooh, the the guy, the best guys that I ever played with, um, I'd say for sure Bob Sanders. Um, you know, he was he he was an impact in his own right. Like he he just changed the game completely. Um, Dallas Clark. Um, you know, you got Brad Banks who was outstanding. Um, Guys like Clint Solomon, who played with me, he was me and him were the two true freshmen in my freshman year at Iowa. Um, and then you start thinking about guys I, that uh, I played with in the NFL, you know, Troy Palomalu, Ryan Clark, our whole secondary, fuck, Shay Townsend, Mike Taylor, you know, the whole defense. You go Casey Hampton, Larry Foote. You know, all these top-notch guys that just balled, Hines Ward, San Antonio Holmes. They were all amazing players. Um, in the CFL, you had guys like Chris Matthews, um, Nick Lewis, who just got uh, inducted into the Hall of Fame in CFL. Um, we had uh, – who else I'm trying to think here? Uh, Kevin Glenn, quarterback, outstanding. You know, Darian Durant. I, I mean, the list goes on. I mean, fuck, all these guys were outstanding. But – playing against guys that I played against that were really freaking good. Um, you know, Seneca Wallace, he he single-handedly beat us in the game at Iowa. Um, Braylon Edwards, who I just spoke to recently, crazy enough, um, we had some great battles. Uh, he was outstanding. Um, Lee Evans from Wisconsin was outstanding. Um, you had Marion Barber and fucking – his counterpart over there in Minnesota, you know, you have, uh, then I played against Dwayne Bow when he was in Kansas City. Um, Brett Favre, I played against, um, who else? I mean, I played against a number of guys, man. Um, you had, in the, in the CFL, you had Darius Bowman. I mean, he was a projected first round draft pick, ended up you know, getting kicked out of school because of the marijuana charge, ended up in the CFL doing numbers. Um, yeah, Manny Arsenault, you know, I mean, the list goes on. I mean, there's a, a number of great players, you know, that I played with and against. You know, my guy, Jonathan Hefney, man, loved the kid to death. He, he's one of the best players, teammates I ever had the opportunity to play next to. And he made me better. I made him better. Um, Clint, Clint, uh, Kent, Alex Suber, Brandon Stewart, you know, our little Swaggerville squad, like we was just electric and we all play well off of one another. And when you got guys that make you a better player, uh, and help you to overcome obstacles and reach further than you ever think you can actually go, 
those are the type of guys that I want to play with. So those guys were outstanding. Yeah, for sure. Um, so one thing I admire the most about you, I know a lot of other people from Erie admire you, admire this a lot about you is that you have, you give back to the community in your hometown with your football camp. Um, so when did you kind of start like your own personal, like, you know, skills training camp and stuff like that. And then what inspired you to do so? Um, well, I started it. I want to say the first year was in 2009. Um, but one, one thing that, that inspired me to do it is when I was in Pittsburgh in 2006, um, a guy that played with me, Tyrone Carter, he was one of the, that he was a Jim Thorpe award winner, you know, played with me, you know, he didn't get the number of the amount of attention he should have gotten when he was with the Steelers, but because he had Ryan Clark and Troy Paul in front of him. Um, but, you know, he was one of those guys that was big on the community and he, he invited me to come to his camp down in Pompano beach, Florida. Um, and I ended up going help work in the camp. That's when I actually met, um, the corner, uh, Patrick Peterson, um, you know, and Brian McFadden who played with me in Pittsburgh, he, that was his, his younger cousin. And this was before Patrick Peterson went to LSU. So I'm, I met this young kid, he's in high school, um, you know, getting ready to get recruited by everybody. And, uh, and I went to a camp and I just kind of watched how it all, you know, went and what all type of things they did. And I was like, man, I need to create something like that in my hometown. Like Florida is everywhere. Like all these kids in Florida go to camps, they go do these, do these different uh, activities that require them to play football all year round. And in Erie, there's very few far in between to see guys actually come back and say, you know what, I'm gonna do this camp. I wanna use the knowledge that I have to give back to the community and help other kids be able to feel and know that you're accessible to them and that you're willing to go above and beyond and teach them how to get to success and what it takes to get there, the work ethic, the, you know, the consistency, the, the different things that we know as athletes to help them overcome and achieve. Um, so I was like, I'm going to do it. Um, sat down, just kind of started blueprinting it and, you know, writing it down on paper, what I wanted to do, how I wanted it to look. Um, the first year was really solid. You know, the numbers weren't very high. Um, the second year got better. Third year just kept growing, kept evolving. By the time I got to the fourth year, I was averaging 70, 80 kids at the camp. So now it's like, all right, how can I make this a better event? Like, what else can I do to, you know, make this better? And, it, and then I always had those adversity, the challenges. You know, I really wanted to do a camp that was an overnight camp where these kids can stay in the dormitory at Family First and take them through what it actually looked like to be a college football player, like meetings, uh, workouts, freaking practice, back to meetings, you know, all these different things that you that you have to do um, to let them know, like, because this is not something for the week. Like, you can't go play at the highest levels with a below average work ethic like you have to be willing to sacrifice a lot of your day to football whether that's meetings class practice all these different things so some people just ain't cut out for it and you would learn very quickly um, if I was able to run the camp that way I would find out very quick like which ones 
are willing to put the work in and which ones are going to just fold um, when it comes to having to overcome adversity. So I'm going to get there. Idea. Eventually, I'm going to get there. I'm going to get to that point. But unfortunately, COVID kind of shut down the door for a little bit. But, you know, when I can get back to it, that's probably what the, the new um, the new intricacy of the camp will be, will be like that overnight, you know, bring in college coaches to talk to them, bring in former professional players to talk to them or current uh, players, you know, things like that, just to see so they can see what that work ethic looks like. I'm going to have to pull up for sure. <laughs> so what is what is next for you in terms of your current career? I know recently you announced your retirement from football. So kind of what's next for you? Um, Just keep growing and evolving, teaching, um, you know, coaching. Um, I've mentored a number of kids now that I'm at the college ranks, coaching and, and things like that. Um, I really enjoy it. Um, I'm passionate about it. I feel like I have a lot to offer knowledge-wise. Um, because again, when you, when, as a player, like I said, as a player, I always took tools from other people's game and incorporated it in mine. So I felt over and over again, trying to do things that didn't make me comfortable, you know, stepping outside of my comfort zone a lot and, uh, until I figured it out. So I learned a lot about myself, but I also learned a lot about other people. Some people are so one dimensional that you know, it's easy, it's easy for them to get attacked. So with my players, I like to give them tools to put in their tool belt, but I'm never going to tell you how to play it. I'm going to let you play what you feel most comfortable with, but I'm going to give you different skill sets to, to use so that whatever one of those are, are most ideal for you and your comfort, then that's what you do. But you also have other tools. If something goes wrong, or somebody is attacking you constantly, you can switch to something different because you have all these tools in your tool belt. So that that is in, is what I enjoy the most. You know, the X's and O's part of it for me is easy. Um, you know, I've, I've seen every defense you can throw at me. I could, I've seen every offense that anybody could run. Um, so I'm, I'm good with that part of it. Uh, it's just making sure that you understand, you know, as a coach, you have to be willing to, put yourself in the shoes of the athlete. You know, they have day-to-day -day stresses. You know, you can't always be hard on them. You got to sometimes be sentimental with them because they're going through adversity every day. You know, being in class, having all these different expectations that they have to achieve or try to achieve. You know, you just got to kind of pick and choose, you know, the moments when you want to be hard on them and when you want to just pull them aside and just have a conversation with them. Um, and that that's the part that, you know, I'm getting better with um, understanding that. And uh, because I was there before and I knew I knew um, as a player that I had things that were that were just hard to kind of cope with being away from your family, you know, having to go to practice every day, study tables and workouts and all this different stuff that we expect them to do. But then we always hard on them. like it's like they already they already got it tough. Like you don't need, always need to be tougher to make them tougher. They just need to, they need somebody that shows them that they care um, more so than somebody that's just always pushing them and pushing them and pushing them because then they they ultimately start to give up and and kind of kind of go into what I call you know that pushback part where you know they're like man you pushing me way too hard now like I'm getting upset so you just got to pick and choose but that's the part I love about coaching is the, is the day-to-day the -day challenges that you got to be able to overcome. So it's just like playing.
Yeah. Would you say that your, your passion for coaching is, is greater than it was when you were a player or would you say it's like equal or kind of, how would you rank coaching in terms of the same like intensity you had when you were playing? Oh man. When, I mean, I would say that it's pretty, I'm, I'm fairly, I'm a pretty intense coach for the most part, but I'm also, I consider myself to be a player's coach because I can, I can reason with, you know, what they deal with on a day-to-day basis. I could be, you know, their number one critic, or I can be their best friend. Like I can, I can kind of play both sides. And one thing about my players is they play for me. Like they don't give me everything they got because I challenge them, but I also give them different rewards and things uh, that they want to play for. So, um, but playing, I was like the most passionate guy there is on the field. Um, But I think they kind of correlate, like, you know, it's different, it's different being in the office versus being on the field, but my passion for both is pretty much equal because I, I just see myself in them when I see them perform and they, they do well. Like it makes me that much more, uh, you know, gratified that they that they are going out there and playing and I'm giving them tools to just keep helping them to accomplish what they want to accomplish. Yeah, for sure. One last question for you, Javon. Um, any advice for the young athletes out there, maybe these young kids in Erie, really anywhere in the world, um, just out there trying to trying to be in the same shoes as you? You know, what kind of advice can you kind of pass along to them? Uh, to, to these young athletes, I tell them, you know, never let anyone create the path that you want to create for yourself. You know, never let someone tell you what you can or can't do. Um, if you put the work in, if you're disciplined and you're diligent in, in your day-to-day um, activities to put you in position to, to accomplish the things you want to accomplish, everything's attainable. But, you know, that starts with, you know, being disciplined. That means being where you're supposed to be and doing what you're supposed to do. Um, being on time all the time, you know, whether that's in class or on the field or whatever the case may be, let the coach know that, you know, you're willing to, show up early, stay a little bit after, do a little bit more. That shows that you're you're really committed to your success. And then um and then if you when you do those things, you know, it's 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 good to know some people and have a little bit of luck on your side. Cause uh if if your coach knows somebody um and though that person knows somebody, I mean it, it doesn't hurt to have those type of connections. So when you when you have those type of people on your team, on your staff, uh, that that have a little bit of a voice that can go a long way. Uh, it makes a world of a difference because then you can you can have coaches that you never thought you would ever speak to that would then be talking to you and connecting with you. So, um, you know, but if you want to accomplish it, you can accomplish it. Never let nobody uh, steer your path the way you want it to go. You rode a boat, you take it where you want it to go. Yes, sir. You got to keep yourself in position to, to get lucky too. stay off them streets, man. Just keep, stay, stay focused, stay focused. Adversity yes, hits everybody, but yes, sir. how you respond to it is, is is a testament of your character. Yes, sir. Ladies and gentlemen, Javon Johnson, member of the CFL's All-Decade team, um, and one of the best athletes to ever come out of Erie, Pennsylvania. Thank you so much for hopping on the show today. Why don't you go ahead and tell everyone where we can follow you out on social media? Uh, they can follow me on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter handle is Mr. Underscore Consistent Underscore 2. I think that signifies me very well. Uh, they can follow me on Instagram, on the island too, um, or Facebook, Jovan Deuce Johnson. Um, always willing to connect. Always got the time to, to just, you know, chop it up and, and kind of, if you got any questions or anything like that about anything, if I can be of any assistance, man, don't be afraid to reach out. 
I appreciate you for hopping on the show today, my man. Take it easy. Um, we're super excited to see how the, the rest of your, your current career plays out and everything, man. You're making Erie proud. So keep appreciate doing your thing, my man. Always. Thank you.